After the Affair podcast with me, Luke Shillings, is here to help you process, decide, and move forward on purpose following infidelity. Together, we'll explore what's required to rebuild trust not only in yourself, but also with others. Whether you stay or leave, I can help. And no matter what your story, there will be something here for you. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the After the Affair podcast with myself, Luke Shillings. You are listening to episode number 54. And I know I mentioned this probably last week, but it's amazing. This is Wednesday the 4th of October as you are listening to this or as this episode is released, which is one day after the one-year anniversary since the After the Affair podcast was launched. So thank you to again to everybody who has come on this journey both with me and also for allowing me to be part of your journey and help you make the changes in your life and turn this unexpected, unwanted event that is betrayal and infidelity into something much more powerful and much more useful going forward. And I am very, very appreciative that you're allowing me to do that. In fact, I've received some emails and messages uh, just in the last few weeks highlighting how much impact it has been having on individuals' lives, which is, you know, I can't lie, it's, it's a very rewarding feeling. And it's just it's just amazing to know that it is having that impact. And again, thank you. Thank you for that. So this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about divorce. Although I obviously do have some experience with divorce, I have witnessed it as a child um, with my own parents. And of course, I have been divorced. I am divorced myself as well. So I have been through the process. My personal experience has been, although obviously a very challenging time of my life, it involved a lot of identity change, a lot of physical, logistical, financial, and and changes in all areas of my life, in all honesty. But I think because, particularly my own divorce, because it was clouded, let's say, in the experience of, of infidelity and the hurt and the pain that came with that, in some ways, the divorce itself felt more like a procedural thing than necessarily the, the the pivotal negative experience for me as an individual. And the, the reason I share that is, A, I'm not an expert on everything, of course. And even though I've experienced things in life, and I definitely have a lot to say on these topics, there's no question, um, sometimes I think it is useful to get the perspective from somebody who is an expert in that field. So today, that's exactly what I want to do. Allow me to introduce Charlotte Tweed. She's a trainee family divorce solicitor from Pepperell Solicitor in Lincoln, the city that I live and grew up in. And she is here to share her unique perspective on this whole discussion around divorce. As someone who's witnessed a breakdown of her own parents' relationship at a young age, Charlotte has dedicated her career to family law and specifically in the divorce cases. So without further ado, Let's get into the conversation. Okay, Charlotte. So thank you ever so much for joining us today on the After the Affair podcast. So I was wondering if you could perhaps let the listeners know who you are, what you do, and what led you to where you are now. 
Yeah, of course I can. So uh, my name is Charlotte Tweed. I'm a trainee solicitor in the divorce and finance team at Pepperell Solicitors. Um, I'm based um, across Lincoln um, or Lincolnshire, Lincoln and our Grimsby um, office. Um, and in terms of my current role, I'm kind of three quarters way through my training. I'm due to qualify in January and hope to qualify into the divorce and finance team. So that's where I've been, where I'm heading, that's the that's the plan in terms of kind of what's got me to where I am now. Um, my parents separated when I was seven um, through evidentiality. Um, that was the kind of the background to it. Um, that was always what led me to wanting to be a solicitor. I kind of grew up um, floating around a few different options. And then as I got a bit older, when I did my A-levels, I knew I wanted to do law. Um, and divorce and finance has always been um, my kind of plan. I've dabbled in other areas and my heart just isn't in it. So I always come back to divorce and finance. It's where it's where my heart is. It's where the background lies. It's the reason I wanted to get back into um, or get into law. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I kind of am now and how I got to where I am. That's great. Thank you. So um, for anybody listening who isn't based in the UK, um, Charlotte said that she lives and works in and around Lincoln, which is actually where I'm from as well, which makes a nice change because usually the people I'm talking to are rarely even in the same country, let alone in the same town. So it, it makes a very pleasant change. You you mentioned that obviously you had experienced from a third party perspective, um, a breakdown in the relationship with your, your mum and dad when you were younger, when you were seven. Um, and obviously this is in some indirect way led you on some path into into law and particularly sort of the family law and divorce and that mm -hmm. side of that side of things would you be you know were you okay to, to talk a little bit more about what that experience was like for you and and how you were affected uh, as you grew up from that third party it's interesting because many of the people that i speak to on the podcast and many of the people that come and we have these conversations with often have either experienced betrayal or infidelity directly uh, either as they are the ones that have been betrayed or in some cases they're the ones that have been unfaithful but it's not so often that we get somebody on who has seen it from well a child's perspective quite literally yeah, yeah. so i was i was seven um i've got a younger brother um he's three years younger so he was um four um we have conversations not often but often enough um the kind of i still remember it very vividly um i remember my dad leaving um my brother doesn't remember anything and we very often have conversations as children our siblings i don't know what's better and i don't have the answer to that and i very often have conversations with clients when they say oh the children are going to get really wrapped up in it and i don't have the answer as to whether it's better to remember no, it's, it's, it's interesting as well, just diving quickly, only because I had a similar situation. So my, my parents also separated and divorced when I was young and I was four when yeah. when my father left in, in a not dissimilar situation. And it's interesting you saying like the impact, how it has affects different people at different yeah. ages, because obviously I have no real like conscious recollection recollection of the event itself at the age of four. Obviously, I saw the impacts it had on me as I grew up. But uh, yeah, just interesting to highlight yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. It is. And we we have conversations, yeah, quite quite a lot in terms of kind of the difference. And I think it's probably impacted me more because I do remember it. Um, but in terms of kind of the relationship, I'm the biggest daddy's girl in the entire world. Um, so it hasn't affected our relationship 
at all. I'm so, so close to my dad. And my mum would hate me saying it, but I'm I'm closer to my dad than I am. Um, my mum, he's one and truly my kind of biggest supporter in what I'm doing. Um, but it is it is something that I think it will stay with you. Um, it certainly affected my my kind of relationship since. I think I've always been, I, I think, struggle with trust a little bit. I think it's something right. that I've been growing up kind of in my own relationships. You take a step back and think, I don't tend to trust people. I tend to always take the view of um, someone. Well, if you trust someone, they're always going to leave you one way or another. And I think that that it comes back to you have to kind of look back to the root of the um, the root of the problem. But yeah, I do think it's interesting to speak with, um, like you said, the different age ranges. And a lot of clients will say to me, "Is it is it better to be younger? Is it better to be older?" I, I don't think the answer is. There's a better I don't think there is a better time it's it's horrible no matter when it happens but I think it leads you in different paths and I'd like to think that I've turned what's happened into a positive and I always said I wanted to then be able to help others which I guess was then what put me on the path that it put me on so I mean definitely it's having a really great impact on the people that you now help as a result of sort of following that path but what has been the the cost of it to you I mean you you touched on how it's affecting your sort of your your relationships your yeah. personal re- relationships and and you're now left in a place where you feel less easy to trust i mean yeah. what's behind that is that is it just that a fear of things not working out just... yeah I, th- I think it's probably a little bit you you grow up in a family and a little bit you kind of think if if that can happen in my family that can happen to anyone um sure. I think it's just yeah impacted my my ability to kind of put my trust in other people I think you just you've got that feel of people are gonna people are gonna let you down one yeah. way or another um I haven't yet been proved otherwise but I probably just haven't met the right people to prove me otherwise we'll go with that so I, I, I like that I like yeah that. That, the, putting a positive I mean so just out of interest have your parents have they both gone into other relationships or did they yeah, so my dad is still with um, the lady that essentially mm-hmm. um, was um, unfaithful with, and we have a brilliant relationship um, yeah. with her. It's taken um, kind of a long time for my mum to get more over it, um, but we have a brilliant relationship with my dad and um, my stepmom. My mum is now in a um, relationship, um, but only for about the last eight-ish years, um, so it took her a lot longer. She sure threw all of her energy into myself and my brother um and focused on us for a very very long time um it was only when we got to the point that we were that bit older that I think she then kind of looked um for something else but no they're both now in both now in relationships and we have we have both me and my brother have great relationships with with both sides which is lovely and yeah that is really nice when it when it can be like that because often these these things can lead in directions that you know that are uh, unpleasant for for everybody involved mm-hmm. it's never just the two people in the, the sort of the primary mm-hmm. relationship so oh, well, thank you for sharing mm-hmm. so i was wondering could you sort of briefly explain for those who are listening what a family trainee solicitor does and what your i mean i know you mentioned earlier you sort of sort of divorce and finance but what does that look like for you yeah so essentially kind of a family a family training as a whole obviously family law is split into various different areas so you've got um kind of private law and public law so divorce and finance essentially is the area that i'm within um so that encompasses what it says on the tin essentially divorce um 
the aspects of divorce, the divorce process, um, and then the financial sure. separation that obviously comes with it. They do come hand in hand, but then they also do exist separately. Um, so it, they, we tend to look at them as separate entities, even if they are they do come hand in hand. Um, so I deal with everything that essentially comes with that. Um, in terms of the other areas of family, um, you've got kind of private and the public children work. So the other family trainees essentially touch on. Um, so care work, local authority or um, involvement with children, private children, which ends up being a direct kind of link into divorce and finance, obviously separating um, couples very often then have issues in terms of child contact arrangements. Um, and then the kind of other string to family is kind of the domestic abuse um, side of things. So obviously um, protective injunctions, non-modernization orders, no. occupation orders, that kind of thing. So family trainee kind of covers a whole wide range. Um, certain firms obviously do things slightly differently in terms of the exposure. I've stuck pretty predominantly on divorce and finance um, dabbled in a little bit of care um, and dabbled in a little bit of um, child contact. But my day to day is um, divorce and finance and essentially advising clients on the ins and outs of divorce and finance. Yes. So obviously, I know things have I mean, I, I was divorced in the UK a few years ago, and I believe things that have changed a bit since then. So what what are the current steps? And, you know, and what should somebody do when if they they've got to that point where they're either just considering divorce or maybe it's beyond that. Maybe it's the point now where, no, this is definitely what I, I do. What what are, what are those first steps look like? So in terms of the law changing, completely correct. Um, so as of April last year, um, the Matrimonial Causes Act essentially was amended um, to turn um, divorce law into a no-fault system. So previously, you would have had to have demonstrated one of five facts, um, essentially, to say that your marriage is broken down irretrievably. You now just have to essentially state that your marriage is broken down irretrievably. You don't have to demonstrate yeah. blame. Um, in terms of kind of your your kind of listeners and that that's um obviously that that kind of dynamic in terms of infidelity and obviously proving that it's a lot for someone to go through if you're going to go under the adultery clause or the un, um, unreasonable behavior um essentially fact was kind of the other string to that bow um if you're going to go under that the, the upset and the the going through that when you've already gone through what you've gone through to then have to rehash it all to a solicitor sure. and to have to go through that and to essentially prove to the court why you why you've been through what you've been, been justified to, to just yeah, to justify. No, I get it yeah um, I, the impact that was having was huge um and essentially the law um recognized that there's mixed views on it a lot of people are for it a lot of people are against it um it really is a it's a yeah chalk and cheese type situation um I did my dissertation on the introduction of new fault divorce and I think it's been a really positive um, change in terms of getting people through and not kind of dragging up all sure. the stuff. That does a it lot still of does so? Does it still require at that early stage? So, for again, correct me if I'm wrong. But so when I was at the point when I was looking to divorce and go through my divorce, there were sort of th three theoretical stages. Mm -hmm. One was the you'd have to prove, like you say, one of those five things, yeah. you know, for unreasonable or yeah. irreconcilable um yeah breakdown breakdown sorry yeah then if that wasn't the case then you would wait two years and yeah. you would have to both agree that that's yeah. the case or you would wait five years and you could do it with only with either person yeah so ha has that whole thing changed now whole thing 
Right. Okay. Whole thing is sure. essentially completely gone. Um, so you make an you make an application. Um, there's the option now to make a sole application or a joint application. That's something new that came in. Um, which if you're in a um, couple that's still quite amicable, mm-hmm. you can make a joint application essentially together. Um, sure. it, it works in a joint way or the sole application. The sole are tending to be more popular um, and they are more common. Um, but essentially, the, yeah, the process now is just you have to fill in um, an application form, um, demonstrates the court that your marriage is broken down irretrievably, but without the need to demonstrate any facts or any blame. Um, and then the process follows then essentially um, similar to what it did previously. Um, the respondent has to respond, um, has a certain amount of time frame to do so. And then it carries on in terms of the stages, um, terminology change slightly. Okay, so 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 just, just again, just for clarification, and yeah. also as well for anybody listening, we are talking about the UK here. This is the UK law. It will be different in, in, yeah. in the US and the other countries that are listening. So please just you know, check with your own legal professional in those cases. But so assuming that one person wants to proceed with divorce, but the other person does not, how does that play out right now? So essentially, the only way you can now dispute a divorce is if there's a procedural error in the divorce. It used to be under the kind of the unreasonable behaviour ground. You could say, well, I don't agree with any of those reasons. I'm going to cross apply, essentially. That's where it got very, very messy. Um, essentially, now you can only stop the divorce going through and make an application essentially to stop it um, by saying there's a procedural error. Something really drastic like you put your, your wife presents a marriage certificate that's in the UK and you're going, well, we got married in Switzerland. Random, really drastic example, but something procedural, essentially, um, that so there isn't the way that you can stop it in the same way that you could previously. Again, some people are really for that. Other people yeah. aren't. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about it from a combination of, of yes. there's, 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 there's a personal thought and opinion behind it, but there's also like how could this play out for people? So particularly in scenarios where there's been betrayal, infidelity, mm-hmm. things like that. Like emotions are extremely, extremely intense, yeah. you know, and best will in the world. People do not great make great decisions when mm-hmm. in high levels mm-hmm. of emotional dysregulation. And this is where I would have that caveat of like, mm, maybe there should be some period, something, something that's for, for, for that. And I mean, there's, I did a podcast episode a while back on the topic of limerence, which is something that most people have never heard of. Mm-hmm. It's this infatuation that usually the person having the affair, the unfaithful partner, has with the affair partner. And the affair partner can have it with the the person who's doing the cheating as well. And this can be a very – it presents not dissimilar to – like the honeymoon period, the lust that you often experience in the early part of a relationship. It yeah. present very similar to that. So it's often not noticed initially, but it can become very obsessive to the point where it can be quite damaging, not only to your primary relationship for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but also to all areas of your life. You start to become blinkered. You start to not yeah. look after yourself in the same way. And everything becomes almost like there's this perfect oh, ideal of what they think the future looks like. And this is not an excuse, it's not justification, but it is a thing that does happen and some people do experience. Now, I could imagine in those scenarios, they would think that divorce really would be the best option. But yeah. 
when they cycle through this and they're reflective on the other side, they may no longer think that, yeah. uh, by which time it's already happened. I mean, I know technically they could get married again, but it's, yeah, so it, that is definitely, I can see where there is that, like... I think in terms of the time scales, it doesn't work quite as quickly as maybe people um, okay. would maybe think. Again, I can only talk from our experience as a firm. We send out an initial letter to other side, essentially. Yep. Um, two weeks prior to submitting any application, which gives people the opportunity to go and get some legal advice, to consider it, to talk it through with people, to digest it. And we always kind of say to say to our clients that that gives gives a higher percentage rate, essentially, of that person responding on the basis that they've had some time to digest it. Because you're right, people do crazy things when emotions are high. Yeah, I think the first steps before you do anything else is always to just take a minute, get your head around what's going on but then go and get some legal advice because it's it's so overwhelming when you speak and everyone has got a friend that's been through it. Everyone's got a family member. Everyone can yep. read Google and read articles and read newspaper things. And it can be very overwhelming when the amount of people that kind of come out of an initial appointment with us and go, I just wish I'd have come and seen you sooner because I've read all these things and I've spoken to all these people and I've got myself into a big flap. And sometimes you just need someone to break it down and even if you're right, you don't want to press on at that time. You don't. You just want someone to tell you where you stand, give you an overview of the process, and then you can go away and deal with it as you want to deal with it. If that's, I want to deal with it now, or if that's, I want to come back to you in three months' time once I've had a bit of time to digest, calm myself down and get my head straight because it's a lot for anyone. It is. It's, 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 it's nice to hear that as well from, uh, from a, a legal mm. because, you know, stereotypically you guys don't get the greatest rap <laughs> yeah um you know and, and i mean it's joking aside there's there's lots of you know misconceptions uh, about what lawyers do and what you know solicitors do and and what their priorities are and maybe there's there's the, there's a belief that you know the client is not the priority you know, the money is in lots of cases. And I know that's not necessarily true. So so with that question, I mean, what are the sort of common misconceptions that you've come across when you've been since you know doing what you do? I think as, as you've probably summed up probably one of the main ones. I think, I, I mean, I can't convince everyone that that's the case for every or not the case for every solicitor. All I can say is we're human too. We've all, we're all doing the job for our own reasons and certainly on my own um, perspective. I'm never shy in telling clients if it's the correct moment and it feels like it's right to let them know essentially my background in as small amount of detail as I possibly can. But we're human. We get it. We, we do understand and you've got to, that's where the client and clients list of relationships becomes so important. So they do trust in what you're saying and if, if that relationship breaks down, there's no real going back from that. They've got to trust that you've got their best interests in heart. And I'd like to think that we we certainly do everything we can to try and put that at ease. Yeah. And that's and where it, that's it sounds it. like it. 
those initial appointments are so important we we do um, at the firm kind of initial advice appointments um, that are set up on a fixed fee basis and those important those in um, appointments are so important because you get to get to know that person they get to know you and you like to think that you build that initial kind of trust up in that appointment and then moving forward you've set the groundwork then and you move from um there i think in terms of other kind of misconceptions um one thing that a lot of people kind of don't think about and it comes to us and you kind of go oh god no no i didn't realize that a lot of people especially tends to be in cases that don't have a lot of assets will kind of think well i've got divorced that's that's it that deals with it it's sorted i'm divorced i've got the final order move on i think a big misconception that we're really trying to target kind of at the minute in terms of our um our firm and kind of advertisement and kind of blogs and things like that is is you do need to sort out the finances they're they're just as important if not more important than sorting out um the divorce and you're leaving yourself open essentially to claims in the future if you don't deal with it i think that's a big thing people think just get the divorce get it through people just want to get it done and if you don't deal with things and deal with things properly in terms of the finances you could end up in a stickier situation than when you started yeah so so with that in mind i mean how how are things divided up generally speaking is it is, is it the straight 50 50 or are there more factors at play does does in you know especially given that there's the change in the divorce law and there's no longer this no fault that are there any other factors that come into play so there's there's, there's lots of factors essentially um in terms of kind of if you're going to go statute based um there's the section 25 factors of the matrimonial causes act um, essentially the court have to um, follow in any um, any decisions they make in terms of any financial orders. The starting point, you're correct, is um, a 50-50 split. So that is the starting point. Right, um, you, can, you can move from that. The biggest reason to move from that is essentially needs um, and needs-based argument um, needs trumps all, essentially. Um, if your needs require a departure from equality, um, then that's an argument you can make. Um, essentially, the longer the marriage, the harder it is to come away from equality. Um, the shorter the marriage, the easier it is to make those kind of arguments. Um, and first and foremost, no matter what happens and what's been going on and the background, the ch- any children will always be the first consideration. Um, yes. So they come um, before anything else, essentially. In terms of um, infidelity kind of having an impact on financial settlements, not so much um, no. now on the basis of the change in the law. It doesn't change people's view essentially on how finances should be divided. Um, but essentially to run a, um, what you call a conduct argument essentially um, would have to be something that's quite grave. Essentially it's something very, um, very significant um, and infidelity um, doesn't, doesn't come under. No, I completely um, that understand that. general basis. Um, but it doesn't take away the fact that it's that's the, the backstory of how people have got to where they've got. Yeah, I think sometimes it can be uh, some of the people I've spoken to, some of the situations that I've been in is where the the primary earner within the family, whether that be the man or the woman. Mm. So if it's not the primary earner who has had the affair, then the one who is now the betrayed but the primary owner of the family and now wants to get divorced and separated not only feels like well i didn't ask to be cheated on yeah. but now 
am I having to support my yeah. partner? Yeah. You know, I can imagine that's a pretty bitter pill to swallow. It is. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and I imagine and- it scare a lot of people from divorce as well. It's about managing expectations, yeah. I think, from, from our basis. You manage the expectations from as early as on as we physically can. Um, those initial appointments aren't really the – you can do that to an extent, but from our perspective, we have to know everything. And the only way you can know everything is essentially is getting all of the financial documents. And at that point, it's the case of managing expectations. But you are right. It it can be a bit of pull, bit of yeah. pull, pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, but it's about having those conversations with the relevant people, essentially, um, and getting your head around the law, why it is the way that it is. And the, the law will, the law essentially is all governed around. They will only approve and judges will only approve an order if it's fair and reasonable. So although a lot of a lot of people say, well, that doesn't feel very fair, it will only be approved if a judge deems that it's fair and reasonable, giving consideration to all of the factors, essentially. Um, and if you can kind of keep your head on that um a lot it does help yes it's interesting the, w- the way you've been talking about clients coming in getting clear on the facts on the information when people come to work with me it's, that's exactly what we do as well okay we might not be looking at bank balances but we're looking mm-hmm. at that clarification of the facts of the things can that go are, a long way. oh absolutely because you know we're human we have brains we have emotions and they like to write stories about things and they make things seem much worse or much different or we're only looking from a very narrow perspective and and that can be quite quite hard to to sort of navigate if you haven't got that clarity there in the first place so it's interesting to see that so so with that in mind obviously you you know you're not a therapy service that's not what you're purposes and you know as we've already discussed emotions can be pretty tough to handle when yeah. it comes to divorce infidelity and not just these issues but any divorce you know regardless of the the mm. the reason for the separation it's always a, a challenging thing to experience so how do you as uh as solicitor as pepper Reynolds, mm. um handle this and, and what sort of resources and other things do you provide or direct to to support people in those moments so i think i think the the biggest thing is in terms of clients we appreciate it's an emotional time i came coming back to kind of what i said earlier we're we're human we we get it um and from certainly my perspective um i've i've been through it as a child and i saw the impact it had on my parents i didn't ever go to a solicitor's office with either my mum or my dad but i i so very often will see people and think i can imagine that's what my mum would have been like and you can't help relate to people which i'd like to think makes me more relatable and we understand as much as we can but then also we're there to give the legal advice we can't tell them what they want to hear so there's there's a fine there's a fine line um i think the most important thing to say is that we will always let you take your time take a deep breath here have a tissue and, and coming back to a misconception we're not going to charge you to go make you a cup of tea if you need to take a break and take a cup of tea um essentially we're we're human too we will do everything we can in terms of additional resources you're right when we're not a therapy service um we we lean on other facilities if we think it's needed kind of doctors mental health specialists are kind of the obvious if you're going to go down um kind of that route in terms of emotions we would be the first to recommend to someone look i think you should go and speak to um your gp and just get a bit extra support go and speak to kind of a mental um a mental health therapist um specialist whichever way you look at it um we're not 
we're not specifically trained to obviously deal with that but can always pinpoint in the right direction in terms of kind of other resources um divorce kind of leads naturally into kind of obvious kind of things so first thing to say is kind of financial advisors um we obviously talk with clients kind of a lot in terms of kind of mortgages um in terms of pension provisions so we will very often say to clients go and get some kind of expert advice essentially i'm not an expert in mortgages any more than i'm an expert in um pensions and go and speak to a financial advisor who is an expert and can give you some expert um advice and kind of leading into then mediation essentially that's the other kind of string to the bow um it's a it's a different option it's a different way to come to a um solution essentially um but it's a it's a resource that we can lean on and we can refer to um and it gives clients options what those kind of things do it it means that not only have they got us they've got those other resources to lean on but then they can come back to us they can come back to us and say well i've went and had a conversation with my gp and i'm i'm feeling a lot clearer about the conversation we had last week now for example um or if or if it kind of it hits a point that we're in in court proceedings kind of worst case scenario in terms of finances it might be that we need that gp evidence um essentially to to justify the struggles that they're going under and the impact it tends to be in terms of finances if if that kind of emotional stress has hit a point that it's impacting your ability to work coming back to kind of the section 25 factors that's a that's a key a key thing and the court need to be aware of the impact these issues whether that's through infidelity or any other kind of things they need to be aware that these issues are there and if they're having a significant impact on your lifestyle and your ability to earn a living um it all it does all link in it all turns into a bit of a jigsaw puzzle it sounds like there's there's it's about using the right tool for the right thing Completely. You have a very specific area of expertise, a field that you can help people with on this part of the journey. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it can sometimes require multiple parts to the jigsaw to you be can. able to, to put the whole journey together. And I, I recognise that for my, my myself too. We spoke a little bit earlier. Um, I mentioned about the where you've got a, the, a difference in, let's say, income from one person to the other. Whether this is a misconception or not, and I'd like to I'd like it ironed out if it's is hopefully it is but i might be wrong and that is is it true that the person with the most financial backing is more likely to get their way when it comes to the the settlement let's say financially so i I think it's a massive yeah it's a massive thing and it's a lot of things you hear that a lot um and it is something that people draw down and the person that's got the money can pay for the best solicitor and will get the best outcome coming back to the court the court aren't interested in whether you've had the best solicitor or it comes down to what is fair and reasonable yes in a court hearing if you've got kind of a solicitor who's you've got to have a solicitor that's got your back essentially of course but what i would say that doesn't come down to money you've paid that comes down to picking the right solicitor for you um but it, it is it is something that you've kind of you have to try and iron out um initially what i will say is that coming back to the starting point of kind of equality it brings people in line essentially that is the purpose of a financial um settlement but from our perspective you never if you you haven't got the funds to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds we will do everything we can to still ensure that we can support you essentially there's there's different there's different obviously options okay okay well i think that that's 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 interesting and Mm -hmm. although maybe not the 
the perfect solution. It's at least it's some way towards it's not a definitive binary answer. Absolutely. I think that can be, be comforting for, for some listening as well. Um, so how can, and if this is even possible, you know, you're, you've got children, there's, there's things to consider, you are thinking about divorce, but we're not so sure whether your partner is or not, and you're wanting to sort of make the decision. Is there anything that people can do to sort of better prepare themselves for it rather than just, you know, going in blind mm-hmm. and... Is, is, is there anything they can do to either protect their assets or to better, you know, and I, I'm not talking about fiddling the system. I'm just talking like in terms of what are there any fair ways, reasonable ways, sensible ways in which you can put yourself in a stronger position if you go down that road? I think it really depends on the circumstance. Um, okay. A lot of a lot of people we tend to, if you're more amicable and you've managed to kind of have some substantial conversations prior, it kind of puts you um, in a in a front. It's that you've got less to kind of argue um, over. Obviously, that the more you've got to argue, the more drawn out it becomes, and the more damage potentially you're you're doing. Um, in terms of kind of kind of things you can do initially, um, I think going back to what I said earlier, just try not to read too much and get yourself into a bit of a a bit of a frenzy about what you need to know and what you don't need to know. There's plenty of time to get your head around things. Um, in terms of kind of initially protecting um, assets, children, those kind of things, obviously children proceedings um, and child contact tends to come hand in hand with divorce, but child contact can always come first if that's something mm-hmm. that you want to get that sorted and then the divorce um, follows. comes down to your priorities essentially um, and if, if you're quite content with the children, um, kind of what you've agreed in terms of the children at the initial stance, that can sometimes be something that follows whereas if the children contact is the thing that's really causing an issue divorce can wait and we deal with that first so I just, think- out, just out of interest the, with regards to children just from what you've seen what you've experienced in some of the colleagues you've worked with are so for example when 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 i got divorced me, me and my wife at the time we we laid out what we we basically agreed even before we came to yeah. going through divorce proceedings in terms of like how we we're going to split the kids in terms of the time where they would live all all of these things what what yeah. what responsibility would have and you know i mean maybe i was very fortunate that that despite the circumstances i was still in a situation where these i would you know the co-parenting relationship was something that was really important to me and fortunately for me i suppose it was really important to her too so it meant that we could do that but is that typical or not it really it really depends it depends on the breakdown i think the 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 worst breakdowns more uncommon um but you kind of have to come back to a point of the children have got to be the first thought and i think if people can put aside what else is going on for the benefit of the children that says so much about you as a parent and from from a child's perspective i can tell you that it means a lot when the parents put everything else aside and and focus on absolutely you um but i think i think it really does it really does depend as to how how the situation is kind of going um you would hope that you would be able to um sort something in terms of child arrangements um and whether that's just a case of getting it kind of drawn up into consent order or whether you're satisfied you've agreed it um but essentially it's something that needs it needs considering one way or the other because it comes back to not having uncertainty so you don't want to be in a situation where things are up in the air because that's not 
it's no good for anyone. No, no, definitely not. So we've so far we've spoken all about everything prior to the divorce. This is like all the leading up to, you know. So once those papers come through, the, the judges signed it off, it's it's finalized and the, the financial paperwork is is done as well, the agreements there. Is there anything else that people should consider ongoing beyond divorce with their partner? So I think the, the biggest thing to say in terms of finances is obviously the financial order might be um, sealed. It might have been approved, but there will be very often things that have got to be done. If the order obviously allows for a transfer of property, it it, it obviously um, puts into place a pension sharing order. You've still got to take sure. those steps. So I think um, it's still important to remember that even at the time that everything feels final, there's very often that's where the hard work almost starts because you've now got to put everything into effect, whether that's putting the house on the market, whether that's transferring kind of interest in properties, sharing pensions, whatever that looks like, yeah. that still has to be done. In terms of kind of other things, if you come away from kind of finances and divorce altogether, the biggest thing we always say to people at the end of proceedings, um, whether that's kind of through a consent order or whether that's court proceedings, then one of the last things we will always say to someone is, have you sorted out your will? Um, because we will tell people from the get-go um, and they very often will say, lots of people do update their will at the time they come and see you and lots sure. of them will go, I'll deal with it later. And I think one thing to always remember at the point that you're no longer married and at the point that that final order comes through in terms of the divorce, if you're leaving anything to your husband or your wife and your will hasn't been amended essentially or updated to reflect an updating um, agreement, then essentially it's as if that person has um, died. You essentially strike through gotcha. the, the will. So if you're going to consider anything off the back of a um, divorce, if you haven't already had your, had a new will, essentially in co- contemplation of a divorce is how it's worded. Um, if you haven't done that, that's the, kind of the big the big thing that we wouldn't. We don't close down a case essentially until we've had that conversation um, with someone. So if you've got to not do kind of not forget to do something um consider that if you've updated your will previously and it's been drafted in contemplation of your divorce you very often don't have to do anything but if you haven't just tread carefully that makes a lot of sense a lot of good advice there thank you so finally do you have any just general comment i know we've covered a lot today and or advice or wisdom from anything you've experienced that we've shared with your clients as, as they've sort of navigated the complexities of anything specific that comes to mind i think the biggest thing is just don't be afraid to ask i think people sometimes get so kind of caught up in they we send emails and we're all guilty of it we all send emails when we probably should call and i've always said don't don't ever feel afraid to just pick up the phone and i'm as a individual trying to get better at ringing ringing clients and you I don't think you realize how sometimes an email exchange back and forward if you just had that telephone call it it puts them at ease um so I think don't be afraid to say I didn't really understand that can you can you just give me a ring and we're all guilty of it of throwing out the legal spiel and expecting everyone to understand it and we can send advice letters we can set it out in writing but don't be afraid to kind of say can you just ring me and 
talk that through with me. And I think it comes back to that that relationship with clients if they feel they can do that and they feel that if they ring, they'll get answered because coming back to another kind of misconception, you can never get hold of your solicitor. Um, obviously, we are we are busy. I can't always promise to answer the phone, but if they know they'll get a call back, um, I'd like to think that, that that puts their mind at ease a little bit. Great. That's, 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 I think it's been really useful today, Charlotte. I really, really appreciate you you coming on and uh, sort of want to thank you and on, on behalf of Pepperells as well for, for letting us have this conversation. I think it'd be really valuable to actually for, for people everywhere. Okay, there's some things that are very UK specific, but I think there's a lot of really good advice and a lot of really useful things that you've said today that get a bit of clarity on uh, before they make these decisions if they are in that particular position and they're facing it. So yeah, thank you very, very much. Mm-hmm. So with regards to you, yourself and Pepperells, are you nationwide? Is it UK completely or just local or who who can who can work with you who can come to so essentially um the head office is in um hull so kind of up that end of um the country and so lincoln is the most south essentially um, we currently um are um and then various offices across um scunthorpe um essentially where we started um Grimsby um, and then go up essentially up to um, York, Newcastle. So we covered that kind of okay. area. So sort of East, East Midlands and Yorkshire. Yeah. Or sort of East Yorkshire. But also kind of with the caveat of with the time we're now in, we could always have a team's appointment. Um, That's what so, I was going to ask. Is 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 yeah. is it is it based on geography? Do, do they have to be able to come to to the office or can you do it remotely? No, so you can always do it um, remotely. I'm going to be honest on a personal level. I quite like having people in. I think coming back to everything we've discussed and sure. building up that relationship, having the, you can't be kind of being sat with um, a client. Um, we have some clients that come in for an initial appointment, but then kind of you speak to them over Teams um, there on in. I have clients that aren't in the offices, so I have whole clients that I will mm-hmm. probably never meet, um, but they can go into the whole office and see a colleague if they need to. Um, so yeah, there is there is options, but certainly the, the where we are now in terms of technology, and I think COVID changed a lot of people's thoughts on virtual meetings and things like that that yeah the door will always be open um to um essentially wider than where just the offices are perfect well thank you very much charlotte and uh it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on thank you very much thank you for having me you're welcome Well, I found that conversation really valuable and really interesting and i think charlotte highlighted some some really important points simply seeking the advice when you are considering divorce is essential in all honesty and probably not something to fear in and of itself although there are lots of emotional challenges when facing divorce there are lots of logistical challenges there are lots of financial challenges at least there are in some cases the key really is making sure that you are seeking the advice from the appropriate resources to help you make a a much clearer, much more intentional decision about how you proceed. And as a summary to all of this, I would really highlight the importance of taking time, taking time to process your emotions during this heightened state, then seek legal advice and ultimately manage your expectations. Remember, emotions can often lead to irrational decisions and 
it's so useful to seek clarity before taking that further action. Remember, whether you're considering divorcing due to infidelity or navigating other challenges in your relationship, it's essential to have a support system in place. Seek professional guidance if required and ultimately prioritise the well-being of those involved, specifically your children. Thank you once again for joining me on the After the Affair podcast. I would be really grateful, if you haven't already, to go and rate, review, like, share, do whatever it takes to help get this podcast in front of more people. If it's helped you, we know, can guarantee it can help somebody else as well. They've just not found it yet. And all of that input is really, really useful. Thank you ever so much. And I'll speak to you all next week.